Right, we do have a PowerPoint. Um, it may be a bit small to see for some of you, but if that's the case, don't worry, just listen. I am going to start with a joke. <clears throat> there once was a man who prayed to God and said to God, he said, Lord, in your, in your eyes, how long is a thousand years? And God said, that's like a minute to me. And he said, and Lord, just whilst I'm asking, you know, how much to you is a million pounds? And God said, well, that's like a penny to me. He says, Lord, can I have a penny? And God said, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> wait a thousand years now the point of why I'm saying that is because sometimes you don't get what you want when you want it and my message this morning is taken from the end of the book of Philippians and really the, the, what's really behind the whole message whatever I say today what you've got to remember is the kind of canvas behind it all is that the deep faithfulness of God even when you don't get what you want, or even when you have to do without things, or even when you lose, like Keith, Kevin was it? You lose a child. Do you believe that God's faithfulness is still deep? Even though on the outward circumstances, the outward things are not what you want. But this passage shows us how God is he's deeply faithful even when your outward world falls apart. And you probably can't see that, but that is a picture of a pit. That's a pit. It's a bit dark. And um, the reason I put that on there is because I want to tell you about a couple of ladies before we look at the passage. One name is a lady is called Corrie Ten Boom. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Well, she had a sister called Betsy Ten Boom. They were Dutch ladies in the Second World War and they helped hide Jews from the Nazis in Harlem, in Holland, with their dad. They were eventually arrested and caught. The dad died in a prison and the two sisters were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp, which was a death camp for women. Betsy died, Corrie survived. Before Betsy died, she said this, if I can quote it, there is no pit that is so deep that Jesus' love is not deeper still. And they found God's love even there in a death camp. And they led many Jewish ladies to know Jesus. And you won't not believe this, but even some SS guards came to become Christians after the war when they heard Corrie Ten Boom preach. Now, it was hell, but God was faithful through it. And many, many ladies would have never known Jesus if they hadn't gone through that. I'm not saying God wanted it, but my challenge this morning is, can we believe the deep faithfulness of God even when things don't work out? Now, we're going to be looking at the life of Paul the Apostle. Now, you might think, Paul, great church man, would you know there were times when he was very, very hungry, he didn't have any food. There were times when he was without clothing and he was very, very cold. There were times when he was beaten up. There were times when he was shipwrecked. There was one time when he spent the whole night on the ocean because his ship had sunk. You think, well, God, come on, you're supposed to be faithful. But he says in this passage we're going to read, he says, I've learned the secret that God is faithful, that 
contentment, this word contentment, even though all my outward circumstances are disaster. I've got an inner resource in Jesus Christ. He is the one who empowers me on the inside, even if everything else falls apart. He is the one who gives me strength inside. He's the one who infuses me with power, even though I'm in lack. Now, there are other times in Paul's life when he got really loads of stuff. He got embarrassed because God, through the Philippian church, they sent him a whopping great gift. They sent him enough money to pay for all his food, all his clothes. They sent him food, clothing. He was sorted. You know, he was right rich. And that was God's faithfulness. But one thing he said was this. In this passage we're going to read, he said, you know, I'm grateful for the gift. I'm encouraged. Thank you. But I didn't need it. Because I rely on Jesus. I rely on the Lord, not on human help. And this is a very difficult thing, but we need to learn it. Do you rely on your inner resources? Do you rely on your inner resources, on Jesus in you, or do you rely on outward circumstances and all your outward resources? And this is the challenge of today's passage. We can learn the secret. The secret Paul learned was to rely on his inner resources in Jesus, where feeding on Jesus, it might sound all very spiritual, but it's, 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 it's something that I, I, we all have to learn. To learn to feed on Jesus, even when maybe all the things around us, the outward stuff, isn't working out. Let me tell you a quick story. I must get onto the passage. But I heard a story uh, of a fisherman in the north of England whose business wasn't going so well. And on one Christmas day, all he had in the cupboard was one crust of bread. He was a single man. So he sat down at Christmas lunch, he didn't have any breakfast, sat down at Christmas lunch, put a piece of bread on the plate and thanked Jesus. He cut the piece of bread in half, he kept the other half for Boxing Day, and the other half he ate on Christmas Day. And he said this, and apparently this is true, he said, after I ate that crust of bread and prayed, I felt full up. (laughs) I felt like I'd had Christmas turkey, it was really weird. And I believe what had happened there, you see, because he'd given himself to Jesus, strangely, he'd learnt to feed on Christ, and Christ had given him the strength that he couldn't get from anywhere else. And sometimes God will prove his faithfulness in odd ways like that. Have you ever seen Star Trek? Anyone like Star Trek? Well, in Star Trek, there's a guy called Captain Spock with pointy ears, whenever they discover a new alien life form, Spock says to Jim, he says, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Well, sometimes God will do this to you. He'll be faithful to you in a way, but not as you're used to, not as you know it. Because you think God being faithful means he's going to give you everything you want, he's going to supply your needs. Sometimes he doesn't supply your needs. Sometimes you're without money, without food, but, or without what you wanted. But God is deeply faithful. And Paul learnt this secret of relying on his inner resources. And that's really what this passage is about. Um, This passage is also about giving. If you give to other Christians, like we talked about Adam and Mim today, if you give money to another Christian, God is deeply faithful to notice it. 
especially if it costs you a lot, he will notice it. And we're going to look at that as well, how God is faithful when you give away stuff that maybe you think you need. God will notice it and be faithful if you give away your money. Now, I'm not asking for money, by the way. It's not for me. <laughs> not one of these tele-preachers. What I'm telling you, though, is if, if God tells you to give some money to someone, and it's a large amount, and you do it thinking, this is crazy, I'm going to be poor, God is faithful. He will see it, and he will reward and supply your need. Um, let me tell you two other quick stories. <laughs> Sorry, but it's just coming to me. Me and my wife once felt to give a, a reasonably large sum of money to somebody, and we thought, this doesn't look good for our bank balance. We gave it, and then about a week later, the same amount came through the front door. Because we needed it. God will supply your need, not your greed. So if you needed that hundred, it will come back. I know a story of another couple who felt God telling them to give some money towards a church building project. And it was a large sum. So he went to his wife and they discussed it. And he said, well, dear, you know, this is a lot. But they felt God was telling them. They weren't just doing it to be silly. They felt God was telling them. So they waited three weeks because they were a bit scared. They gave the cheque, and within two days, the same amount came back to them from a different source. This is a true story. Within five weeks, they had three times the amount back in their bank. <laughs> so, God is faithful. Let's read the passage, yeah? Um, if you've got a Bible, it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. It's the end of the book. Uh, if you can't read it on the screen, don't worry, I'll read it out. What's happened here is Paul is slammed up in prison. He's got a lot of, he hasn't got, he's got lack, he hasn't got much. And the Philippians have sent him a big gift. And it's arrived. And this is his response. In my life, in union with the Lord, it is a great joy to me that after so long time, you once more had the chance of showing that you care for me. I don't mean that you'd stop caring for me. You just had no chance to show it. He's talking to the church. And I'm not saying this because I feel neglected, for I have learned to be satisfied with what I have. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have more than enough. I have learned this secret so that anywhere, at any time, I am content whether I'm full or hungry, whether I have too much or too little. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. That's the key verse. <laughs> but it was very good of you to help me in my troubles. You Philippians know very well that when I left Macedonia in the early days of preaching the good news, you were the only church to help me. You were the only ones who shared my profits and losses. More than once when I needed help in Thessalonica, you sent it to me. It is not that I just want to receive gifts. Rather, I want to see profit added to your account. Here then is my receipt for everything you have given me, and it has been more than enough. 
I have all I need now that Epaphroditus has brought me all your gifts. You know, they sent him money, clothes, food. They are like a sweet-smelling offering to God and a sacrifice which is acceptable and pleasing to him. And with all his abundant wealth through Christ Jesus, my God will supply all your needs. He'll pay you back. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the final greetings, he says, Greetings to each one of God's people who belong to Christ Jesus. The believers here with me send you their greetings. All God's people here send greetings, especially those who belong to the Emperor's Palace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Okay. Now, I don't know if you noticed in these verses, when Paul is thanking them for the gift, he kind of says, thanks for the gift. Then he kind of backtracks and says, you know, but I didn't really need it. And then he kind of goes forward and says, you know, you, were, you, haven't, you, know, you haven't given me something for a long time. And then he kind of goes back and says, not that you didn't care, you just didn't have opportunity. And he keeps kind of, have you, did you notice, he's a bit kind of nervous and re- reluctant to talk about money. You see, money seems to be a sensitive subject. It says, Paul seems reluctant and nervous when talking about money. Why? Well, here are some possible reasons. He could be concerned what his hearers might think of him. You know, if Tim kept talking about money all the time at church, you might start to think, why does he, what's he after? What's he after, this old Tim boy? If he kept talking about... Now, see, Paul got a bit nervous talking about money because in those days there were these travelling preachers who used to go around with a hat, you see that hat there, collecting money in the hat. If you had something clever to say, you could go around Greece and you could say something cool and then they'd put money in your hat and you'd make a good living. They were like the pop stars or the TV celebrities of the day. So he didn't want them to think, I'm just in it for the money. Another reason why he might be nervous is he could be embarrassed because he was once a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a Jewish religious leader and they had a reputation for being lovers of money. In Luke 16 it says the Pharisees were lovers of money. And we know that Paul had the same problem because in Romans chapter 7 it says that Paul, when he read the commandment about not being covetous, which means wanting more, wanting more, he he couldn't cope with it. He realised, I'm a covetous guy. You know, on the outward, Paul seemed to obey all the Jewish laws. He said, I was blameless in the law, but that was on the outward. But in his heart, he was a covetous man. So maybe he's nervous because he's remembering what he used to be like, talking about money. You know, it's like if Pat used to be an alcoholic, he wasn't, but if he did, and he come to Jesus, and then I start wiggling a bottle of whiskey under his nose, he's going to go, oh no, no, thank you, oh because he'll remember the old Pat, you know? Maybe that's why he's nervous. And he isn't just saying, hey, this gift is great, I'm so happy. He hasn't said that. He's saying, thanks for the gift, but I didn't really need it. And, you know, and, and he kind of, he almost seems like, the Philippians could have thought, did he want our gift or not? He's not very grateful, is he? Well, he did and he didn't. 
He did want a gift, but he didn't need it because he had Jesus in his heart. This is the real reason why he was nervous. You can read it. I'll just read it out. He wants to emphasize to them that he's not relying on outward resources, gifts, or circumstances. He is emphasizing instead a secret that he has learned. The secret is to relying on inner resources supplied by a deeply faithful Jesus. Jesus supplies inner contentment and inner strength to face all conditions. He wants them to get it. And another reason why he talks like he does is he wants to show how God faithfully notices the gift, the giving that happens. Can I just say this? If you give to Adam and Mim, not telling you you have to, if you do, and you feel the Lord wants you to, God will notice. He will notice your generosity. And he will be faithful to you, even if it costs you an arm and a leg. <laughs> now, in this passage as well that we read, there are two promises. I'm sure you can't read that. Two well-known promises about God's faithfulness that Christians love to quote. You know, one of them is this. This is a classic. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pete Cross has got that written near his front door. I think Tim said once to me, that was his favourite verse, once upon a time, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Christians think, and there is some truth in it, that that means you can just, you know, you can do anything God wants you to do. You can lead a church, you can preach, you can run a Bible study, you can evangelise, you can do this, you can do that. I can do anything through, I can go to my job, yeah. I can keep my wife in order. <laughs> that's a hard, that's a <laughs> Some people's faith don't go that far, but anyway... I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. But that isn't actually what it means. It's out of context. Do you know what it really means? It really means when I get into poverty and lack, I can cope because of Christ strengthens me. And this is a, probably a better translation, if you excuse me changing the Bible, but it is actually the Good News translation, which we just read. This is probably the best translation. I have strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. It's not about Christians being victorious, triumphant, you know, do this, do this. It's about God giving you the strength to face anything in life because of Christ in you. I can do all this. Other translations could read, whether I own little or much, I can cope because all power and resources are deposited in Christ and that's where I'm living. And this translation is probably very, very accurate, and you may not like it because it is changing it, but this is, if you look at the context, this is what it actually is saying. Watch, watch this one. <laughs> I can do without all things because of Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> hmm, Simon, are you sure? It's true. If you look at it, what he's saying is I can do with lack. If I've got lack, Christ will be my source of strength. If I've got abundance, Christ will be my strength to not get too drawn, drawn into it, to not get too tempted by it. You know, there are two kinds of tests. You can either have very little, and you find Jesus is your resource, or you can have so much that you've got a, wealth, you know, a lot of wealth, but then Jesus is your strength to not get worldly, to not get drawn in, to not get tempted and sucked in by it. 
If you don't remember anything I said today, it's just this. We've got to rely on Christ within, not on how things are without, around us. Now that man, does anyone know who that is? Oliver Cromwell, yes. Oliver Cromwell. Well done, Mark. Ten points. He was the leader of the English Civil War rebellion against the, the King, Charles, and... Anyway, I won't give you a history lesson. But he did have a faith in God. And something happened to Oliver Cromwell. You see, Oliver Cromwell, he had a son who he absolutely loved. He's like he was blue-eyed boy, my boy, my son. He had such high hopes for his son. And then one day his son died. He lost his son. And his bottom of his world fell out, and Oliver Cromwell was really depressed. And he went to God, and he said, God, I can't lead the people. I've lost my boy. Give me a word. And God gave him a word, and the word was this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the way Oliver Cromwell understood it was, I can do without my boy. Let me cry, sorry. I can do without my boy because of Christ who strengthens me. I'm thinking of poor Kevin up in Birmingham. I can do without my boy, my two girls. This is the power of Christ. We can do without things. That's the real meaning. I mean, God will bless you. He'll bless your socks off. But there will be times when you, someone might die in your family. What could you do without, sorry, you single ladies, don't go and get depressed, but could you do without finding a husband? You parents, could you do without your kid, one of your kids dying? I mean, I hope it never happens. <laughs> could you do without that big job, that big salary? That big, could you do without these things, that nice house you wanted? I can do without because of Christ in me. That's the real meaning of promise number one. Now, there's another promise in that verse, in those verses, which we read, which is very common in Christian circles, and Christians love to quote it, and it's this one. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And you can say, yeah, God's going to supply my need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a context. The context, he's saying it to the Philippians. Do you know what the Philippians had done? They had given away an arm and a leg to Paul. It wasn't a little gift. They would given him a ton of money, everything to pay for his rent, clothes, food, everything. And they had impoverished themselves. The Philippine church had made themselves poor to help Paul. And so what he's saying is God's faithful. He's seen it. He's going to supply your needs now. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. If you get led of God to give a lot away and you become poor, this promise comes alive. God will look at it and say, I'm going to supply all your need. And it doesn't just give you a, a little Mickey Mouse um, bit of need. It gives you abundantly. It can embarrass you because this is what the Good News Version says. And with all his abundant wealth, through Christ Jesus, my God will supply all your needs. So if, somebody, if one of you decide, for instance, to give, I don't know, £10,000 to Tim, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying this would ever happen, but, you know, and you felt God had told you, and you know that, hang on a minute, Lord, I really need this money. If you've done it in obedience to God, this will happen. With all his abundant wealth, my God will supply all your needs. He's not going to sell you short. God is very wealthy. You know, it says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. 
He owns all the gold and silver. And God, could, God is a multi-millionaire, actually, in one sense. He can embarrass you. He embarrassed Paul at one time. Right, let's move on. Now, having understood that God is always faithful when Christians give generously, we can now examine the effect which giving has on the three persons involved. Because it's always a triangle. You've got God who's watching, you've got the person giving, and you've got the person receiving. There's always three. It's not just, if I gave Tim some money, it's all about you today, isn't it, brother? <laughs> this is a prophetic word. If I gave Tim some money, it's not just between me and Tim. You see, God is, invo- God is involved. God can see. It's a triangle. Now, I want to look at the effect it had on dear old Paul. <clears throat> How giving affects the receiver. Paul was thrilled because he got a gift, because he he says, your care has flowered again after being dormant for such a long time. By getting the money, it proved their care was still alive. And I hope you follow me. That is a plant in my kitchen. It doesn't look very good, does it? looking a bit bedraggled. Well, that plant, right, it looks like, we keep thinking about throwing it away, but whenever I put water on it, if you wait long enough, it flowers again. It comes back, little white flowers pop up. It's like, it's still alive. And some, I think what, in terms of what the effect had on Paul, it's this, if you give something to a Christian that you feel, it shows them that your love is still real and alive. And maybe you haven't done it for a year or two. Maybe you ought to. <laughs> Maybe someone will, you, know, you, you feel, I'm going to give to that missionary, and um, it'll like th- they'll think, hang on a minute, those people still love me. It's not dead. That's what it meant to Paul. The other thing it meant to Paul was the secret, which I told you already, I've said it a few times. His reaction when he got the gift proved he's no longer the covetous man he was, but a contented man. He's passed God's test and he's learnt this secret. What is the secret? I've said it already. It's relying on inner resources in Jesus, not all the outer stuff. And here's the big challenge for us. Have we learnt it? (laughs) Because sometimes you can get tested by God, you know. God tested the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah. is a place where they got tested to see is the Lord among us or not. Um, and in Paul's day there were actually a bunch of people who were philosophers and these philosophers were going around saying to be contented you've just got to detach yourself from all your desires a bit like Buddhism in Buddhism you've got to try and switch off your desires and become contented well there were these philosophers going around saying just switch yourself off don't worry about it, just train your mind it's not that Paul's secret is Intimate relationship with Jesus has taken away all that pain and given him strength to face it. That was his secret. It was a relationship with Christ, not detaching himself. And just to quickly say, where he says he learnt the secret, that was a phraseology back then. When you had a cult, 
or a little, they were called mystery religions and cults, they would initiate you into the cult. You know, like if you become a Freemason, I don't know if any of you have ever been Freemasons, I hope not, but they initiate you in to the secrets of Freemasonry. It's like you, you get an insider's knowledge in the group. And Paul is saying, I have learnt the inside, the secret, the inside knowledge of being in, in Jesus. That he can give me strength in any situation if I have relationship with him. But so many Christians just get what Tim said today, fed up. They live in the place of fed up. I'm fed up. God's not doing anything. I'm fed up. That isn't where Paul lived. <laughs> he was content. He was, yeah, it wasn't easy, but he found strength. You know, one of the words of God, Christ strengthening you, is the word dynamo. I mean, not that they had dynamos then. You know, dyna but dynamo, it gives you power. Power. Okay. That's enough about the secret. <laughs> um, but it's there for you to discover. Let's move on. What about the effect on those who gave? You know, the Philippians, the people who gave the money. What was the effect on them? Well, the effect on the Philippians wasn't just that they lost some money. They became investors. It says in verse 15 that they shared in Paul's profits. And if you give as a Christian generously, you are going to get profit. It may not be in this life, but you are going to get profit. And you're going to get interest. That's another phrase. Um, they will be paid back with interest. You know, this is very different to earthly bank accounts. I mean, I'm with the NatWest. They're not too bad. Interest rates are a bit rubbish. I don't know what bank you're with. But with your earthly bank, when you give away money, that's it. You've lost it. But in God's economy, if you give, the Lord will pay you back with interest. Because it says in this passage, in verse 17, that profit will be added to your account. That's what it says. Maybe not in this life. God is going to pay you back with interest. And in verse 18, in the Good News Bible, it says, Paul says, here you are, I've even given you a receipt. Um, and that is because God is like the auditor who reads it and sees it and takes note of it. Okay. And the other quick thing is, God, if you give, God will develop you. He develops the giver. Paul is more excited about what God is doing in the Philippians who are giving than he is by the actual gift. Paul's more excited. He's, I'm so pleased you gave me money, not because I'm now rich, but because it's, God's going to do something in you. They were developing in generosity to their eternal credit. I do believe God wants River Church to be generous. A generous church, not just a Tim, all right? I'll just qualify that. <laughs> uh, you know, God wants generous givers. God loves a generous giver, it says. And um, people fail to realise that when you do, God works in you. God gives you interest, gives you, uh, makes you an investor, a profit, and he will supply your needs. Right, let's move on. What was the effect on God? <laughs> the third person in the triangle 
We've looked at the effect on Paul. We've looked at the effect on the Philippines. What about how did God feel about when people gave money? Well, God spoke something to me when I was on holiday last week. And he spoke it twice. And so I believe God spoke it. And God just said this. He said, you are the apple of my eye. You are the apple of my eye. Do you know what the apple of the eye is? It's the, the sort of sensitive bit in the middle of your pupil. And if you touch it, your, eye, your eyelids come down really quick. It's very, very sensitive. And I believe that Christians are like God's apple of his eye. And if you do something for a Christian, God feels it. It's like if someone gives stuff to my kids, I as a parent feel it. If someone slaps my kid, they might deserve it, but I feel it. We had a cousin visit us two weeks ago. He brought a whole load of dressing up clothes for our children. I mean, Karina went spare because Karina doesn't want any more dressing up clothes in the house. We've got so many pink dresses and all this. But this guy, he brought a Russian hat. He brought an African T-shirt. He brought all this stuff because he travels the world and the kids loved it. But you know what? It blessed us as parents, really, that he had done something for our kid. The parent feels it. And if you give to another Christian or a missionary... God feels it. Apple of his eye. Um, that is a picture of a widow putting a little coin into the temple offering box. You probably know this story. Jesus once watched people putting money in the offertories and he saw a little old lady putting a little penny. Everyone was laughing, thinking, she hasn't given very much. But it was all she had. And he noticed it. God would... Money cannot go from one pocket to another without God noticing it. I'm challenging myself now. I'm going to have to go give them my money away. <laughs> but no, God noticed the woman who gave a little coin. Um, last couple of things, and then we'll stop soon. Another way it affects God is it's like a fragrant smell. A sacrifice of giving is like a smell to God. Do you have any very special smells? Apart from Pat. <laughs> no, he has very odd smells. But special smells, you know, like one of the smells that I love when I was a child was when I went to school, they used to polish the floors. That might be weird, but, <laughs> but this polish, it brings back all memories. If I smell floor polish, I'm like, oh, nostalgia. You know, I don't know if you have any funny smells that you like. No, some people, um, oh, I like the smell of my kids' clothes. Not when they're dirty. But, you know, it, anyway, sorry. <laughs> but it does say in this passage, let me just read it, it says, when you give, in God's eyes, it's like this, a sweet-smelling offering to God. That's one thing. A bit like when Noah came out of the ark and he offered an offering and it says God smelled it and it was a beautiful aroma. Another thing that giving does to God, it's a sacrifice that's acceptable. It's acceptable. In other words, there are sacrifices that you and I can do that God will accept. He won't accept a burning of a lamb anymore. He won't accept the killing of a goat or a bull. He won't. Jesus has died on the cross. You can't, you can't sacrifice for sins. But God will accept if you offer your body to him. God will accept if you offer a gift to another believer or to someone in need. He will accept that sacrifice. And in the old days, when they used to give lambs 
at the temple, do you know they used to give the very, very best ones? They didn't give the rubbish ones. They gave the ones that were the best. And if you, in obeying, obe- obeying God, give the best, he will see it and it will be a sweet smell and a sacrifice that's acceptable. Just encouraging you with that. Finally, I've said a few different things. By the way, this is teaching today more than preaching, so I'm just covering different areas. Finally, I want to go to the end of the passage where it talks about the final greetings. This is not really to do with giving anymore. But it says at the end of the passage, and then we're nearly finished, verses 21 to 23, it says, Greetings to each one of God's people who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters here with me send greetings. All God's people here send greetings, especially those of the Emperor's palace. May the grace of the Lord Christ be with you all. You think, why is that in there? It's just, you know, the end of a letter, fine. Well, I want to say that I believe... God sort of reminded me of this. If God is really faithful to us, we need to be faithful to each other. And I really love what Pat did this morning, because you got us all up greeting each other, didn't you? Is that what you did? You see, you can love people by greeting them um, a bit like... You can love people by giving them a gift of money, fine. That's a great way. But you can also love them just by greeting them. <laughs> How many people come to church and say, no one, no one spoke to me? They've got a right to never come back to that church. You know? I mean, River Church generally is pretty good at welcoming people. I hope the visitors today got welcomed. But the point I'm trying to make is, greeting one another is actually a way of showing love, and it's like blood going around the body. The way love circulates in the church, the way love circulates like blood going around a body is through the giving of gifts... And through greeting one another. And if you greet someone, it acknowledges that they are a human being. I once went to Rora, a place in Devon, at a conference. It wasn't MLG. It was the earlier conference. And I saw two guys at different times, and I, I went right up to one. And I said, hello, how are you? Do you know what he did? He just looked right through me. Now, either he doesn't like me... <laughs> Or he was just miles away. But I, I, I waved him three times. What? He was like, I might as well have just been a ghost. And of course, that, I was a bit hurt. <laughs> then I met another guy who all of you know, but he's not here today, so it's fine. It's not John <laughs> or Terry. <laughs> he's not in this church. And I said hello to that person, and I said, hello, are you all right? And they just blanked me blanked me and I was like man what's wrong with these people but the point I'm trying to say is if you greet someone you acknowledge that they're a human being if you greet someone you strengthen the relationship you have with them if you greet someone you're expressing care you're saying how are you how are you managing um let me warn you though if you say how are you and you give a good long answer some people just walk off it's like really just say fine (laughs) I want to challenge us to learn to greet one another, and it can even be by text. Really, when you greet someone, you're seeking to say to them, I hope you will be blessed. Shalom. Be blessed. So I'm stopping now. What I've said today is that you can learn a secret. When things go wrong, you can find strength in Christ.
to do without things. There's also another secret. God is faithful if you give. He'll pay you back with interest. He'll pay you back with credit. He'll see it. He'll honour you. It'll be like a fragrant smell, and it'll be like a sacrifice that he accepts. And the final thing from this passage, which is a teaching session, is it's really important that we greet one another. It keeps the love flowing, like blood round a body. And um, at the very end of the passage, the final verse says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And one translation of the word grace can be translated as, May the sheer generosity of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.